Hey guys, I'm your host Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Koobana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. My latest book, Koobana Volume 12, is now out. Collecting even more of your favorite stories from the show, you can find creepy ghosts, abandoned buildings, haunted shrines, fascinating monsters, and much, much more. You can find that on Amazon right now and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're looking at some stories of what happens when the other side strikes back, or at least makes itself known. First up, some children spot something rather creepy at an old building, but is it truly haunted or perhaps the land itself that is wrong? Find out in Semi-European Style House. This is a real story that happened to me when I was a kid. It's a little embellished, but it happened during the Showa era. It's a little long with no real punchline, but it was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. So let me get it all out here. When I was in primary school, there were a lot of old two-story buildings, like apartments that they called semi-European style houses. There was one of them near where I lived as well. It all started when a fire broke out on the first floor of this building. An old man who lived there alone wasn't careful enough, and a fire broke out, and he was the only one who died. His apartment alone was burnt, and the other residents in the building were able to safely continue living there. The old man's apartment was eventually renovated, but no new tenants ever moved in. One day, my older sister came running in with a friend, their faces pale. My sister's friend, A, lived in that building, and so she was heading over there with another friend, B, to hang out. Apparently my sister had to do something at school first, so B went ahead to A's apartment first, and then my sister went after. But when my sister got there, she found B standing on the first floor, even though A's place was on the second. She was standing right in front of the old man's apartment, the one who died in the fire. A's apartment is on the second floor, my sister said to B. What are you doing here? I know, but the old man in that apartment keeps saying hello over and over, B said, looking troubled. She lived kind of far away, so she didn't know about the fire at all. My sister was also surprised to see the sliding door to the apartment was open, so she grabbed B's arm and then dragged her away. She was apparently too scared to look inside. She just ran. After that, for some reason, three people hung themselves on the second floor of that building. The old man lived on the first floor, so I don't think that had anything to do with it, but in the end, we never found out why. In a span of just five years, that old man burnt to death and three people hung themselves. And as these things were happening, something similar happened to my sister's friend, B. There was a boy who lived nearby, C, who was somewhat intellectually impaired. I think he was in junior high at the time. Apparently, he would stand in front of the apartments where the deaths happened day after day laughing and talking to himself. It became a hot topic around town. My mother told my sister and I about it. 
Apparently, our mum passed by that building one day and saw C standing in front of one of the rooms talking to someone. Si-kun, what are you doing over there? She called out. The old man who lives here keeps inviting me over to talk, he replied. A mother had a bad feeling about what was going on, so she contacted C's parents. After that, they took him to and from school, so he apparently stopped visiting that building. According to our mother, the door was closed when C was standing in front of it. After the numerous deaths, most of the other tenants moved out and the building was demolished. My sister and I went to the library to see if anything used to exist on that land before the apartment building did, but we couldn't find anything. And after that, my parents got divorced and we moved away with our mother. 30 or so years passed, and I finally returned to my childhood home for work-related purposes. Everything had changed so much that I wasn't even sure if it was the same place. But when I saw my childhood friend's house still there, I knew I was in the right spot. Curious, I went to visit the site of that old semi-European style building. After it was torn down, it was turned into a parking lot. But now, 30 years later, it had been split into residential plots of land. There were already two new houses built on that same land the old building once stood. Honestly, I was surprised. I didn't think I'd see anything there now, but I was still too scared to look. I wondered if the site might be on that famous Haunted Locations website, but when I looked it up after, I didn't see anything there. I guess they don't have data on old properties like that. And supposing you bought a house where something happened 30 years earlier, it's not like there would be any record of that. So, if you lived there, entirely unaware of what happened on that spot in the past. Just thinking about it honestly terrifies me. Next, a teenager with a penchant for stealing women's garments finds himself face-to-face -face with something far, far more terrifying than their rage. Will he be able to make it out of this one alive? Find out in... Delinquent Ebara. I just remembered this, so let me write it down. I heard this story from a friend around the time we were graduating from high school, about 14 years ago. Let's call that friend Ebara. Ebara and I went to the same junior high school. We went to different high schools, but for some reason, we remained good, if a little toxic, friends. One day, Ebara told me something that I found a little hard to believe. During our final year of junior high, apparently he would go out night after night to steal female classmates' underwear to relieve stress from all the pressure we were under from exams. I was like, come on man, that's a crime. Why are you telling me about this? <laughs> then he told me a bunch of names who could easily be in the top 10 cutest girls in the class. Anyway, the thrill and excitement was so much that it had now become a habit, he said. So, you're still doing it now? I nervously asked. No, I'm not doing it anymore. 
Ebara had a way of speaking like he had something stuck in his teeth. To tell you the truth, I saw something strange, he said. Something strange? Suddenly, I was interested. Ebara then told me the following. During one cold period, he got changed into his usual dark clothing, hung his tiny bag around his waist, and then left the house. It was shortly after 1am, and a light rain was falling. Cycling was a quick way to get around, but he didn't want to draw too much attention either. As such, he always chose areas where he wouldn't stand out too much, and walked. But doesn't that just make you stand out even more? It was a 20-minute walk to his destination, Aiko's house. It was a regular family house with no dogs in any of the houses nearby. He'd already looked it up. Because it was raining, Ebara was worried that the washing might have been taken in already, but he found it still hanging to dry in the garage. He looked at the patterns to find what he was looking for, Aiko's underwear. He quickly found it, grabbed it, and then left right away. Then he made his way over to Biko's house. In the end, he visited three different houses that night alone. Looking at his watch, it was a little after 2am. Well, time to go home, I guess, he thought, and then started on his way back. The rain, which had been falling lightly, had gotten harder by this point. He picked up the pace. The road was a straight line about three or four hundred metres long. The footpath was just a white line, and his surroundings were nothing more than a quiet residential area. The lights were sparse, and the contrast between their extreme brightness and the dark areas was honestly rather creepy. After walking for a bit, he saw a parked car underneath a streetlight about 30 metres ahead. It was parked right next to the stone fence of a house, blocking the footpath. It was an ordinary black sedan, but when he was about 15 metres away, he noticed the car was shaking, even though the engine was off. Why is it shaking? He thought. He stealthily snuck over to the car to check, but was immediately in for a shock. The inside was empty. The windows were tinted, but looking through the front windscreen, he could see nobody was there. <laughs> no way! The car was shaking just now. There's no way it could be empty, he thought. Again, he looked inside the car. Not just peeking, but fully looking around with his face pressed against the glass. He was like a schoolboy looking at a foreign car for the first time. His breath was even fogging up the window. But nobody was there. Maybe somebody's beneath the car, he thought, and so he checked there too. The road was wet and the rain was getting in his ears, but he didn't care. But still, nobody was there. Standing up and feeling scared, he wanted to get away from there as quickly as possible. He looked in the direction towards home, and then he looked back in the direction he'd just come from. There was a street light just behind the car, but on the border of that light and the darkness, he saw something blurry and black move. He wasn't sure exactly what shape it was, but 
It was around the size of a person. What is that? He thought, and the blurry thing seemed to be wriggling and gradually taking on the shape of a person. Crap! Crap! He thought, and started running towards home as fast as he could. It only took a few seconds to reach the next streetlight. He must have been around 30 meters from the car, and then, finally, he turned around again. But the car wasn't there. The streetlight was still there, but the car that was supposed to be beneath it was gone. What the? He started to panic. Rubbing his eyes, he looked again, but the car was still gone. Whatever. He just wanted to get away from there as soon as possible. I gotta get out of here, he thought, and turned back around. But there, he saw something unbelievable again. A black car was five meters ahead of him. A black sedan, just like the one he'd seen before. And it was parked just like before, right next to a stone fence and blocking the footpath. There was also a streetlight too. And that blurry black figure. No, it had turned into a person now, and it was moving towards him with its hands outstretched. It looked just like a zombie, stumbling forward one, then two steps in his direction. He didn't remember where he ran after that, but he screamed the entire way, and when he got home, the noise woke his family. They didn't discover what he'd been up to, but they did get angry at him for going out so late at night. After hearing all that, I was like, okay, that's a long story, but where's the punchline? Well, I went back there during the day and on that road, there was a Dosojin statue. I think that's what it's called, beneath the streetlight. You know, the statue that's supposed to be a guardian for travelers or whatever. No way. So you're saying that it was a Kamisama you saw? Or what happened after that? Well, I gave it all the underwear I stole. Recently, I heard from a friend that the delinquent Ebada died last year. Apparently, it was in a car accident. Ebada, I hope you've moved on now. A father with a sixth sense is able to look at photos and sense whether the ghosts in them are real or not. But is he able to help an old school friend with a rather dangerous problem? Find out in Ghost Photo. Can I tell you about a ghost photo my father received? This happened several years ago now. One night, one of my father's friends from school sent him a photo, saying there was something he wanted him to see. It was a group photo taken by a river, and at a glance it looked perfectly normal. Everyone in the photo looked to be around the same generation as me, and they were all smiling and having fun. Looked like it was a university club enjoying a barbecue together. It's a normal photo, I said. No, this definitely isn't good, my father replied. His friend from school, let's call them A, said that their daughter, I'll call her B, took the photo just the other day 
and noticed something strange in it. It looked just like an ordinary photo, but when you looked closer, it clearly wasn't. People were missing arms and legs. My father was well known for being able to see ghosts, and most of his classmates and friends when he was younger knew that. Asan remembered this, and so they contacted my father. One common legend about ghost photos is that, for example, if a body part is missing, it means that same body part will suffer an injury soon. And in the photo, B-san was missing a leg. A-san was worried and wanted to know right away if something bad was going to happen to their daughter. I've heard before that lighting can change the colours of a photo and make it look like a ghost photo. But when I looked at it that day, her leg was clearly not there. B-san was standing at the end of the line at the back of the group. There was nobody in front of her, and you could clearly see her tanned skin. However, her left leg was missing from the knee down. All you could see was the sand and the river flowing behind her, which was clearly unnatural. And other than B-san, others were missing parts above their wrist, below their knees, etc. Anyone looking at it would agree it was a ghost photo. My parents and I all got together to look at the photo and even now I remember getting goosebumps from it. Is B-san in danger? I asked. No, my father said. He was staring at the photo and, just for a moment, I thought I saw regret pass over his face. B-san will be okay. Really? That's great, I said. I'd never met B-san before, but I was relieved to hear she'd be okay. So, it wasn't actually a ghost photo then. The light was just making it look that way, I thought. But then my younger sister, who was sitting nearby, chimed in. B-san will be. She put the emphasis on B-san, meaning that she alone would be okay, but the others wouldn't. These kids with their arms and legs missing, they'll be fine. But this one in the middle, I'll call him Seekun. He's in real danger, my father said. He pointed to a guy standing in the middle of the front row. I froze when I saw what he was pointing at. There was a reddish-black stain on this photo taken near the riverbank. That stain looked creepily like a human face, and that boy was squatting over it. I'd never seen anything so clear like that before, and it made me a little sick. My father then called someone, and I guessed it was A-san from the way he was talking. Ah, A-san? Yeah, I've looked at the photo you sent. Where was it taken? He asked. They spoke for several minutes, and I don't remember everything they said, but in the end, my father said this to A-san. You should take Seekun to be purified as soon as possible. He told them that B-san should relay this to Seekun himself, and then hung up. When I asked my father to explain what was going on, he told me the following. Apparently, that river runs near a famous local dam, and B-san's university club went there for a barbecue over the summer. But that dam was also famous as a suicide spot, 
And, according to my father, they had no idea about that. On the left side of the photo, there was a forested area, and although I couldn't see anything, apparently my father could see lots of people there. The reason people were missing body parts was because the people who hadn't yet been found in that area were appealing for help. It wasn't just those who had ended their own lives that my father could see, but also those who were involved in accidents, or left abandoned there as well. The reddish-black stain beneath Sikun was apparently the malice of those who had been killed there, and although it wasn't terribly evil, that small spiritual power would eventually grow and summon even worse spirits to the area, so he would need to contact a powerful monk to help him with the purification ceremony. If left unchecked, then that evil power could make something as simple as falling down turn into a life-threatening accident. Asan's family lived in a different city to us, so I had never met them. I also don't know whether Sikun went to a purification ceremony either. Who knew whether he'd listened to some strange story from an old man he'd never seen before. Anyway, that was how it went. I don't know how many of you read this story, but I don't recommend going to gloomy places like that. And on that note, my father really does seem to be able to see ghosts. Some years that power is stronger than others. Like when he's driving and suddenly breaks out of nowhere, he can tell whether it's a real person or a spirit. And when he's watching ghost programs on TV during the summer, he can tell which videos are real and which are fake. I can't see anything, but I can sense whether some places are bad or not, and I unconsciously avoid them. And I don't know about my younger sister now, but when she was younger, apparently she could see ghosts as well. A student finds himself stuck between the dream world and the real world, but even more frighteningly, both seem out to get him. Will he be able to escape? Find out in... It'll be here soon. Several years ago, when I was still a junior high student, my parents went to a late show to watch Forrest Gump. I was the only one in the house and it was kind of lonely, so I decided to go to bed early. But then, I had a dream. I was standing on a subway platform, and red lights shone on the red bricks that made up the area. There was nobody else around, just the red lights making everything look dark red. It'll be here soon. Suddenly, I heard a voice coming from behind me. I turned around and a dark figure, it didn't feel alive, stood there wearing a conductor uniform and sunglasses, like something out of Galaxy Express 999. The whole atmosphere of the place and the sudden appearance of the conductor creeped me out, but I pretended to be fine and waited. A light glowed brightly at the end of the tunnel. A train was coming, but something about it was weird. There was no paint on it. It was a dull silver, and the bolts weren't fastened properly, and there were no doors or windows. The train stopped in front of me, and the metallic body moved, like 
a dent developing inward. Well then, get inside, quickly. The conductor nudged me from behind with a grin on his face. But for the first time in my life, I experienced full body paralysis. When I opened my eyes, I saw a dimly lit ceiling for about a second. But then the dream flashed before my eyes again, also for a second. These two scenes, the ceiling from the real world and the red subway platform from my dream, continued to flicker back and forth. I began to panic. In the real world, I couldn't move, nor even make a sound. But in the dream world, I could. Well, I need to do something in the dream world then, I thought. And without knowing why, I started to run. I didn't want to get on that creepy train. It was the only thing I could think of in my panicked state. I tried to run in the opposite direction to the conductor, but he grabbed me. Get on the train! Come on, get on! He screamed as he tightly gripped my arm. This whole time, it was like watching real life and the dream world switch, frame by frame. And as the conductor held onto my arm in the dream world, in reality, a black shadow was growing on my ceiling. The only thing the real world and dream world seemed to share in common was how I felt in the moment, and as these scenes continued to play out before me, I grew more and more panicked. Wah! I screamed in my dream, shaking off the conductor and then running away. Grab him! The conductor screamed, but his voice gradually faded away, and I was able to escape both the dream world and the paralysis gripping my body at the same time. I jumped out of bed, breathing heavy and covered in sweat. Looking at the ceiling, the black shadow was gone. Relieved and exhausted, I fell back into bed, wondering what on earth had just happened. But then I couldn't move again. Again, frame by frame, I could see the red brick subway platform, and then the ceiling of my roof. The dream picked up where it left off. I was still running as fast as I could, and when I looked behind me, the conductor was chasing me. But it was no longer just him. Before he had been alone, but now there were four people chasing me. I ran until I found some stairs, and I ran up them right away. My brain was telling me, for some reason, that I'd be able to get out that way, and once I did, they would all stop chasing me. Finally, I was able to move again, but the switching between the real and dream worlds continued. What the hell? I thought, turning to my side, but then I was unable to move again. At the same time, in the dream world, I tripped on the stairs. The people chasing after me would soon catch me, so I had to move, but I couldn't. I was shaking and trembling, but then I felt something gently hug me from behind. I didn't know who the arms belonged to, but the embrace was warm. Back in the real world, however, it was very different. For some reason, it felt like something with incredibly cold hands was strangling my neck from behind. Then I heard a voice by my ear, in both the real and dream worlds. It's okay, 
don't worry, I'll protect you. It was the thing gently hugging me in the dream world while choking me in real life. As my world continued to switch from reality to dream, back and forth, over and over again, I found it hard to breathe. Summoning all my might, I jumped up and finally, finally broke free. Sorry this was so long and I'm not a very good rider. Nothing much happened to me after that, but it was the scariest thing I've ever experienced in my life. The man in this next story gets a strange call from his friend, who apparently can't find his way out of his own house. What's really going on? Find out in... I can't get out. This happened just recently. About two months ago, I got a call from my friend one night. I can't get out of my apartment. Can you come over and help me? What's wrong? I asked. I don't know where the exit is. I'm lost, he replied. At first, I thought he was joking. What on earth are you on about? I said. But his voice was fully serious when he replied. He begged me to come over. And so, with little other choice, I made my way over. When I got there, I pressed the doorbell, but there was no response. The door wasn't locked, however, so I opened it and went inside. I looked around, but nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary. Hey, I'm here, I called out in a loud voice. Help me! Thinking that maybe my friend had an accident, I ran into the apartment and saw him sitting in the middle of the living room. Come on, man. What the hell is this? I said to him. I really can't find my way out, he repeated. There's nothing wrong here. Come on, let's go outside, I said, picking him up. My friend lived in a small apartment with the living room and bedroom connected, and both rooms were accessible from the hall leading from the front door. But just as I thought he was making his way to the front door, suddenly he turned and entered the bedroom. Then he returned to the living room. His face was pale, and when he left the room again, once more he circled the apartment before returning. Come on, quit messing around, I screamed, getting annoyed. I really can't find my way out, my friend repeated. Something didn't seem right with him, so I grabbed him and took him out of the apartment myself. I debated what to do, but in the end, I let him spend the night at my place. The next day, I took the day off and went to the hospital with my friend. When the results came back, it turned out he'd had a stroke. It wasn't life-threatening, but he'd still need to stay in the hospital for a while. The fact that the brain could cause such abnormal behaviour was honestly, seriously frightening. A man receives a terrifying call from his mother, but... Terrifying for reasons other than what you might initially think. Find out why in Phone Call from Mum. Please hear me out. I'm alone and I feel like I'm losing my mind. 
I'm a low-level company man who lives alone in a small one-bedroom apartment. I'm not currently married, and I'm probably going to be single forever. And my grandmother, who is also alone, lives about a five-minute walk away. She's nearly 100 years old, but she's still healthy and mostly takes care of herself. She has a helper visit three times a week, and because of that, she's able to live at home and not at a facility. I can't take care of her, and to be honest, I don't want to. I visit her once every two or three weeks, and that's about it. I checked on her a week ago, and other than complaining about the heat, she was fine. Anyway, last night, I got a phone call from my mother. Grandma had passed away. I was in shock. I thought I was losing my mind. Yet my mother spoke to me in a calm voice. I'm a little busy right now, so can you call the funeral director for me? She said. She gave me the name and phone number, and then hung up. But I couldn't call them. I was honestly shocked and frightened. But then my mother called me again. This time, she told me to call our family temple, and also not to forget the name of the funeral director. There was no way I could do that. Then my mother called me yet again this time telling me to contact our relatives. I honestly felt like I was losing my mind, so I said to her, Mum, how are you able to call me? You see, my mother died from cancer six months ago. Not to mention that I cancelled her phone contract, so how was this possible? She fell silent. She remained silent for a long time. Then I heard her click her tongue, and the phone hung up. Do you understand how I feel? I'm terrified. Oh, and my father died of cancer a long time ago as well. My parents live with my grandmother, so after he died, my mother continued looking after my grandmother, even though they weren't related by blood. Right up until she died as well. I'm honestly terrified. I'm terrified that my dead mother tried to have funeral arrangements go ahead for my grandmother, who is actually still alive. I don't know whether I should cry or whether I should apologize. An old woman is refused entry onto a bus, but it turns out there may be a very good reason for that. Why? Find out in Please Open Up. During the summer of my final year of junior high, I was on the bus on my way to cram school. I always listened to my mini-disc player, but it seemed it was finally reaching the end of its lifespan. The battery died quickly even after charging it, so I made sure to charge it each and every day. One day, I'd been on the bus for about five minutes when my player suddenly died. I pressed the remote control several times, but it refused to come back on. So it's finally broken, I thought, putting it and my earphones into my bag. I always listen to music, so I was bored without it. I watched the screen at the front of the bus and counted how many more stops until mine. Ah, my stop was the final one, by the way. The bus stopped right at the middle of the next stop. 
There were always a lot of passengers at that stop, and on this particular day, six of them got on the bus. They got on the bus quietly, but the old lady at the end of the queue, she was rather tiny, watched the door shut in her face right as she was about to get on board. Of course, she looked surprised. Please open up. Let me on, she said in a small voice, just like a little old lady. I looked at the driver, but he showed no signs of opening the door. When I looked back at the old woman, she naturally looked angry. Why won't you open the door? Her tone got angrier, but then the bus suddenly started moving. In the end, she wasn't able to get on. I watched her as the bus drove off. Open up! Why won't you open the door? Let me on! What a mean driver, I thought. But there was no way to let her on now that the bus was moving. When I looked back to the front, everyone was sitting in their seats with normal expressions on their faces. With all that shouting, I thought at least one person would be looking out the window. Everyone here is so mean, I thought. Even if you pretend you didn't see anything, it's still mean. Apparently, I was the only one on the bus who was upset. And then, we stopped at the next stop. Why won't you let me on? I froze. It was that old woman's voice. There was nobody outside the window, and yet I could hear her voice. Ah, I get it. I was the only one who could hear her. Perhaps I was the only one who could see her too. Knowing that, her voice suddenly became frightening. I'd have to put up with it until we reached the final stop. And when we finally got there, I could still hear her voice. When I got up from my chair, I heard music coming from the bus's speakers. There was no way that was normal, right? I grew even more afraid and tried to quickly get off the bus, but the last thing I heard coming from the speakers was that old woman's voice again. Let me on. The voice was no longer angry like before. It sounded defeated, which in a way made me even more scared. And I didn't think the music was actually coming from the speakers, so was that the old woman's doing as well? I got off the bus and immediately ran to my cram school. It took maybe four or five minutes, and I guess I was crying the whole time. When I entered the classroom, the teacher and one of my friends were talking there. What's wrong? My friend said. Relief washed over me and I told him everything. The two of them laughed and asked if I was okay. I knew I didn't have any proof of what happened, but I was still happy. I forgot all about what happened and, after class, went home. When I was about to go to bed, I realised something. On my way home, I wasn't listening to my mini-disc player that wasn't working. Nervously, I turned it on again and the battery was still two-thirds full. Finally, a university student relays the tale of how he came to see ghosts. And it's not a pretty one. Find out why in Developing a Sixth Sense.
You can develop a sixth sense, right? When I was a student, I was surrounded by people who could see ghosts, so this story is about how I came to be able to see them as well. One day, I was hanging out with some friends at the park near the bottom of my apartment building. I recall it was somewhere between 11pm and midnight. I led a pretty charmed school life, but because of our school's customs and assignments and such, I wasn't able to work, and so I was pretty poor. I think we were just hanging out and chatting about this and that, what we should do the next day, etc. at the time. I think it's amazing that university students not only get to live like that, but with a car as well. I grabbed one of the nearby gymnastics bars and casually did a flip. When I did, a 500 yen coin fell out of my breast pocket. When I landed, I bent down and picked it up off the ground, and I don't know why, but then I glanced ahead. I was looking at the place I shouldn't look at. Whenever I had to pass it, I always made sure not to look at it. Even when I was hanging out with my friends, I did my best not to look. But finally, I saw it. There was something there. A woman dressed in white. I don't know if it noticed me, but the woman turned down a path towards the back of the building and then disappeared with a whoosh. I say whoosh because that was what it was. She didn't move on her own legs. It was like she floated, like a bag being tossed around by the wind. One of my psychic friends told me that even if you can see ghosts, you mustn't let them know that you can see them. So I did my best not to panic and simply moved on. None of my friends who were with me at the time saw what I did, and that annoyed me. When I told them what I saw, the location being what it was, they didn't make fun of me. They just fell silent. That location... Let's go back several years to when I was a junior high student. One Sunday, around 7pm or so, I forget the exact time, but I remember it was still bright outside. Something was making a lot of noise. Normally that noise came from children playing, but this time I could hear adults as well. Then, the sirens of an ambulance stopped right below us. Something was definitely going on. I went outside, and some of my childhood friends were there. They were probably curious like I was, and trying to figure out the source of all the noise. I followed the crowd of people and quickly discovered what was going on. A woman was lying on the road, surrounded by red liquid. She had jumped. Apparently she had fallen after colliding with a bare steel part of the staircase, but the amount of blood was astounding. It was the first time I'd ever seen a dead body, and although I could tell it was human, it had clearly turned into something different. Apparently, she wasn't a resident of the building either. The next day at school, it was all anyone was talking about. It doesn't matter how tragic something is, if children are curious, they will talk about it. It was both inappropriate and incredibly sad. But the tragedy didn't end there. Again, I heard the sound of people talking and sirens below. 
The crowd were looking at something human-shaped lying on the ground, but with the limbs all pointing in the wrong direction. It was the Sunday after the last incident. The same day, the same time, the same place. The daughter had followed her deceased mother. From what I heard, she wasn't much older than me. I didn't hear this until much later when I was at school, but I was so sad that I didn't know what to say. I just cried. That incident impacted me greatly, and even now the scene is still freshly burned into my mind. The pool of red liquid, the limbs bent in the wrong direction, and the janitor cleaning the red liquid off the concrete with his large deck brush. Don't forget to check out Koabana Volume 12, out on Amazon right now. And check out our newly revamped merchandise store at koabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Koabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on koabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras. Or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Kowabana Japan, for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks guys, stay safe, and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to Kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to koabana.net now.